I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Good afternoon. I have to tell you, the family and I spent the most remarkable weekend in Quebec over the weekend uh, near Montebello in Omega Park, which is a uh, 2,000 acre privately owned wilderness area, animal park. Think about, uh, think the African lion safari, but instead of lions and elephants and baboons, There are elk and caribou and moose and red deer and bears and wolves. And you drive through and and the animals come right up to your car and you roll down the windows and you feed them carrots. And there are places where you can actually get out of the car. There are places where it's not safe to get out of the car and they warn you. There are places though where it is safe to get out of the car and then suddenly you are surrounded by hungry deer looking for treats. And um, you can also stay overnight in these cabins. There are wolf cabins and bear cabins, and one wall of the cabin is essentially a floor-to-ceiling pane of glass looking out into a wolf enclosure. And that's what we did. We stayed in a wolf cabin, and there is a pack of timber or gray wolves inside the enclosure. And the enclosure itself is, well, fenced in, obviously. It's probably several acres. It's beautiful trees and rocks jetting out out of the ground. And on the second floor of the cabin, two bedrooms with two queen-size beds, again, each facing a floor-to-ceiling pane of glass, which, again, looking out into the enclosure. And the wolves are howling and romping in the snow. And occasionally, as you're sitting there by the fireplace... With a glass of wine, one of the wolves will saunter right up to the window and stare you down. <laughs> and in the spring and summer and fall, you can also rent a cabin facing a bear enclosure. Of course, at this time of the year, the bears are wintering, wintering 
not hibernating. That's something I learned this weekend. Bears don't actually hibernate the way, let's say, groundhogs do. They winter. The mama bears give birth during the winter. They rouse during the winter, wander around sometimes, but they they don't hibernate. Anyway, these wolves, absolutely magnificent creatures to see them up close and much bigger than I expected. I mean, when you get up close, these things weigh, I'm told, up to 150 pounds. The alpha male in this pack, beautiful creature, had a black face and yellow eyes. A little intimidating when it's staring at you through just an inch of glass only a couple of feet away. And then there's the, the restaurant inside Omega Park. The food was unbelievable. Better than I've had in some of the best restaurants in Toronto. Just a fabulous weekend. A bit of a drive. About five hours from Toronto. And more like seven coming home because we got caught behind about five snowplows on Highway 417 in Ottawa. But nevertheless, a, a great experience. I highly recommend it. And uh, no, we're, we're going back because uh, my one son, North, is planning on attending either the University of Ottawa or Carleton next fall. So we're going to go back to Omega Park and rent the bear cabin next October for Thanksgiving. And we'll pick him up from school on the way. So again, if you ever wanted to be awakened suddenly from a sound sleep at 4.30 in the morning by the sound of a pack of wolves howling just meters from your bed, then um, check out Omega Park. Uh, Another batch of documents from a defamation lawsuit related to Jeffrey Epstein was uh, released this morning. Judge Loretta Preska on Wednesday, of course, unsealed the first cache of documents from lawsuits related to Epstein's abuse, which potentially included names of over 150 people. The first set of documents detailed Jelaine Maxwell's recruiting techniques, Prince Andrew's abuse of the trafficked victims, and Bill Clinton's fondness for young girls. The second cache of Epstein documents was released on Thursday, and according to the second tranche of documents obtained by the Gateway Pundit and reviewed by one reporter, Epstein's victim, a minor teen dubbed Jane Doe 3, said she was trafficked to prominent American politicians, quote-unquote, to obtain potential blackmail information. She was trafficked to prominent American politicians, quote-unquote to obtain potential blackmail information. The new documents, again released this morning, reveal there are alleged, get this now, there are alleged sex tapes of Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Richard Branson. Allegedly, there are tapes. Allegedly. Let me just crib here from the document, and I believe this is, again, the testimony of Virginia uh, Virginia Jufray. When my friend had sexual intercourse with Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Richard Branson, sex tapes were in fact filed on each separate occasion by Jeffrey. Quote, end quote. Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Richard Branson's faces are all clearly identifiable in the alleged sex tapes. 
Thank God she managed to get a hold of some footage of the filmed sex tapes, which clearly identify the faces of Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Branson having sexual intercourse with her. Again, this, I believe, is the testimony of Virginia Jufre. There you go. Now, what are the odds the FBI has those videotapes and is sitting on them? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to suggest that someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene or perhaps uh, Jim Jordan will subpoena FBI Director Christopher Wray. Well, I don't know well, he'll be called to testify anyway. I don't know if they have to subpoena him. They'll question him as to whether the FBI is in possession of the Jeffrey Epstein videotapes. He's going to feign ignorance. He'll be asked again and again on numerous occasions about the videotapes. Other FBI officials will be called up to Capitol Hill in Washington. They'll be asked about the videotapes. They'll all deny knowledge or maybe they'll tell Jordan or Green or Senator Ted Cruz that they're looking into it. We're looking into it. We're trying to determine whether we are, in fact, in possession of those videotapes. And then several years from now, ultimately, we'll learn that the FBI accidentally erased the videotape evidence. Meanwhile, I have no doubt there are a thousand Jeffrey Epsteins running 5,000 honey traps, just like little St. James Island or Lolita Island in hotels and apartments and ranches and the like all over the world where they lure elected officials, top bureaucrats, business people, judges who behave badly and are secretly videotaped. And this is why our elected officials behave the way that they do. This is the reason our elected officials and top bureaucrats and judges make decisions, pass laws and regulations that make no sense, that drive us crazy. Because these elected officials and bureaucrats and judges are blackmailed, they have committed some horrible, indecent act, and they have been caught on videotape, and now they belong to this blackmailer, to their Jeffrey Epstein. And this is not conspiracy. This is I sincerely believe the way the world works. Israel plans to eliminate Hamas leaders around the world and the country's long history of carrying out such operations against terrorists prove its capability to do so. Foreign policy and defense experts told the Daily Caller News Foundation. Mossad is very capable a first-rate intelligence service both in the collection and analysis of intelligence and in the carrying out of covert operations, says Mick Mulroy, former defense official and CIA paramilitary officer. They have a very long memory and an equally long reach. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel, says, I have instructed the Mossad to act against the heads of Hamas wherever they are. This was uh, said in an address in December... According to the Wall Street Journal, Israel Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said in the same address that Hamas leaders are living on borrowed time and are marked for death. All right, I wish them Godspeed. Coming up on the show today, the morning man, Mark Petrone, who will be here last order of business in hour two. 
So many things to discuss. I do want to uh, talk to, to Mark, get his take on what's taking place in Germany right now. Have you seen this? Farmers and truckers, tens of thousands, perhaps more, attempting to shut down the country, paralyze the country because of um, their energy policies, their stupid green policies. Nobody in the mainstream media seems to be allowed to talk about it, apparently. Perhaps at the uh, behest of Klaus Schwab. They don't want the uh, German protest to inspire other countries, perhaps, to do the same. Corey Morgan from the Western Standard will be here to explain how Alberta Premier Danielle Smith is attempting to dramatically reform health care in her province and what it could all mean for the rest of Canada. Tom Korski, Blacklock's reporter, managing editor, also in Hour 2, will find out whether the Bank of Canada is or isn't planning on introducing a digital Canadian dollar. This hour... News, not in the news. Plus, Joe Warmington on the feckless Toronto police who continue to coddle and appease pro-Hamas thugs in our midst. But first, Trudeau promised us, he promised us lower wireless data rates. And yet, both Bell and Rogers have announced they're planning on increasing wireless charges this year. What gives? Aaron Woodrick from the McDonald Laurier Institute is next to explain the Richard Serrett show off and howling for Monday, January 8th in the year of our Lord, 2024. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right. Welcome back. What is it they say? The two things that never change or you can't avoid death and taxes. Well, if you live in Canada, you can add a third to that. Wireless service prices will just continue to rise. I mean, we pay the most in the world. It's ridiculous. The service is subpar. I get better wireless service in Greece in a village at the top of a mountain. I kid you not. In southern Greece, the wireless service is better. And you pay pennies on the dollar compared to what we do here. We are getting used and abused in this country. Despite the fact that in 2019, the liberals swore up and down, oh, we're going to make sure wireless services come down. You can bank on it. And then the industry minister, he said the same thing, I guess, last Christmas. And then that big that big merger, we knew this was going to happen. Rogers gobbles up Shaw Communications. And yet the uh, Roger CEO, he swore up and down, don't worry, prices are going to come down. <laughs> What's happening? Well, Bell and Rogers have announced wireless services are going down. No, just kidding. They're going up. Up. What gives? Aaron Woodrick is the director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program, and he joins us now. Hey, Aaron, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I guess we shouldn't be shocked or or appalled or disgusted because we knew this was going to happen. The question is, I guess I guess the real question is, why did the liberal government think that simply by promising that this, you know, a wave of their magic wand, that prices were going to go down? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's just, you can set your watch to it here, Richard, and uh, maybe people are kind of desensitized to it because we're so used to paying through the nose and used to seeing prices go up. You know, one of the, the the cynical answer, Richard, is that they they did they knew that they couldn't do it, but they said it anyway. Perhaps the more alarming answer, though, is they thought they could lower prices by just telling them to do it. 
Um, you know, you, you do worry that you that sometimes this government, the way they operate, they really do think that's how market economies work, is that governments sit around and decide what the right level of competition is and badger them and tell them what to. I mean, it is it's kind of uh, nuts, but sometimes that's how they act. They think they can just control prices by fiat. They don't seem to understand Econ 101, the role of competition, the role of the profit incentive. Um, you know, they they thought they could solve a problem um, without offending the big players in the telecom space. Um, because of course we all know those players, they have a very cozy arrangement right now. There's only a handful of them. You were seeing earlier about the terrible service that you get and the price you have to pay. Well, what incentive do they have to provide good service? Why on earth would they lower the prices? What are you going to do? You've got nowhere to go. And so I think as long as this government keeps barriers up, because there is a very high uh, threshold, a foreign, foreign, uh, no foreign entity is allowed to own you know, more than half of the telecoms company. That is a barrier to entry. And that means we're never going to have more competition here as long as that remains in place. Well, when Rogers and Shaw communications merged, there were, there were, there were strings attached for the approval. And one was that I, as I understand it, the prices would come down for customers. So if they're in violation of that agreement, I don't know, can't they be taken to court or something? Yeah, they might have to pay a fine, of course. But what are you going to do? Are you going to uh, undo the merger? Are you going to unscramble the eggs, as they would put it uh, in legal terms? I, I think they might have to pay a fine or something. Uh, but that's probably a price they're willing to pay, right? Maybe they make more money. Maybe they make billions more in profit from from raising prices, and they pay a fine of a few million dollars. That's a pretty good trade for them, I would say. Yeah, they'll probably pass that <laughs> that fine yeah. down to customers. Um so Harper tried to open up the market, um, as I, as, if I'm remembering correctly, the, cons- the conservative prime minister Harper. Why didn't that work? What did he do wrong? I think the mistake there was he didn't go far enough. Um, look, Richard, there's, a, there's an unavoidable trade-off. And this, by the way, doesn't just apply to telecoms. It applies to everything from dairy to airlines to banks. Um, you know, a lot of people feel very strongly that we want a lot of businesses in these sectors or all of them to be Canadian-owned. Right. We want the business jobs here. We want the headquarters here. We feel better that they're Canadian owned. But the problem is this is a small country with a limited capital pool. So if you want more competition in these sectors, the only option is to invite foreign competitors. So, you know, whether it's Vodafone over in Europe or Verizon uh, south of the border, they have to be permitted to come here and do business. But they won't come here and do business because they're not allowed to do that because of foreign. So the trade-off Canadians are going to have to face is one of those two things. You can have everything Canadian-owned, like Telos, Bell, and Rogers are, but you're going to get bad service and pay through the nose. Or you can accept that some or all of the competitors in that in that area are not going to be Canadian-owned, but the benefit will be you get lower prices and better service. Well, I'm I'm an ec- ec- economic nationalist where it makes sense. Uh, yeah. but it's not, this does not make sense for us. It's not working for Canadians. Our airlines yeah. aren't working for us. Our, uh, telecom, uh, communications industry is not working for us. It's time for a change. Aaron, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Richard. Aaron Woodrick, director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's domestic policy program. When we come back, Joe Warmington on our feckless Toronto police force and uh, they continue to appease and coddle pro Hamas thugs back with more in a moment stay with us let's get back at it on news talk saga 960 a.m it's the Richard Sarah show all right welcome back I bet I bet you didn't understand or realize that we're being ruled by pro Hamas thugs they're in charge 
If they say no skating, no skating. If they say no Christmas shopping, no Christmas shopping. Call the police if you object. See what they do. I'll tell you what they'll do. They'll hand out cookies and and pastries and coffee to the pro-Hamas thugs. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun columnist, joins us once again. Hey, Joe, how are you? Doing doing great. I mean, just as you're describing it there, and that's pretty well what we've been saying, it, it, it is infuriating because if you think to back a couple of years ago in Ottawa at the uh, Freedom Convoy or even here at the different protests, it was a zero-tolerance approach you know, where nobody was allowed to do anything and it was as far as freezing your bank accounts. Mm-hmm. And yet with this, it's kid gloves. So let's go back to the skating party. This was Olivia Chow's, what was this, a year end or a year or a New Year's skating party down in Nathan Phillips Square. And uh, people, you know, there was video circulating. There was an elderly couple. They were skating around and there was a confrontation with a a pro-Hamas protester who just kind of got aggressive with this older gentleman. And he shouted back, got in their face. They got in his, uh, I think at at one point. One of them shoved. I guess so. I mean, he was skating skating and they weren't skating. They went out on the ice, most of them without skates, and they're masked up and they're looking like they're from some sort of a war zone. There's this guy and his wife, a guy in his probably his 70s. So I don't know whether he was a Chow supporter or not. I suspect so. uh, There for the party. They're harassing him. So it's not okay what they did. And it's not okay that the people that did it. Uh, you know, no one knows who they are and there's no repercussions to it. Just like the guy in Eden Center who said that he was going to put somebody six feet deep. A few other things. Were there uh, so any no arrests? Wonder. Do we know whether there are any arrests in that, that Eaton Center incident that we talked about before no. Christmas? The only person that was uh, cited was Karima Saad, who's the one that, you know, with her videographer who gets all this great footage, which we all use. He gets cited for trespassing or that kind of thing. They don't like uh, somebody that's chronicling what's happening. She's been hit with flags and poles and everything else. She's Palestinian herself, and they still hit her with stuff. So, you know, they don't care who they pick on. And, of course, I don't know who these people are because you can't see their faces. I mean, I don't think they're really Palestinians. I think they're Antifa related to um, OCAP, and I think they're funded by people um, to be out there and harass people. And then, they shouted down the mayor, whether you like the mayor or not, that's our mayor. Um, you know, they have no business doing that. I mean, it's not protest when you go on the ice and start harassing people. You don't let the Zamboni go on the clean the ice. You surround the mayor and intimidate her. And that's our mayor. And our mayor should be in charge, not Hamas. Do we blame the, the, the police? I call them the feckless Toronto police. I stand by that. But how do you feel? Is this because they're, they're, they've yeah, been placed in an impossible situation because the politicians aren't leading? Or how do you feel? No, I don't. You know, I think it's part of it. But I don't blame the rank and file officers at all because they know that if they do something that they're told not to do, they're going to pay the price for it. So someone says, here, bring this coffee over to this person. They, they're so afraid to say no because they know they're on video. They can't win. The chief of police, he can't win either because he knows if he says go arrest everybody, there'll be hearings and everything else. He also knows if he messes up, like the chief in Ottawa, Peter Slowly, <coughs> he could lose his job that way. So I believe this all on Prime Minister Trudeau particularly because Tony set 
that anti-Semitism is, uh, you know, something that's not the highest of priority in this country. No, they have the odd, you know, these little words here, there, the odd thing. But in practice, you know, if you look at my columns since October 7th, I know you have. And I've yes. been on the show many times about it. It never stops. I mean, every day there's a new anti-Semitic or, or some sort of weird story to tell. And that's because the leadership at the top is allowing it. All that has to happen is the prime minister, the premier, the mayor say, look, no one's going to do any of this ever again. We've got the laws to arrest you. If we can't do it, we'll bring in that emergencies act. I don't think they should do that. I don't want to ever see that again. But, you know, it is, it is a crisis when it's 80 days in a row. And, you know, they firebombed that, that uh, Jewish deli. They went after Cafe Landware, which is Jewish-owned. The same with uh, uh, Roma Cafe, same with Indigo Books. Now, like Continuum, I mean, there's a lot more things. But at some point, we're going to have to accept it, that you know, we are at war here. The people are anti-Semitic that are going after the Jewish people here in Toronto. taking over the bridge in their neighborhood where, you know, they get to have coffee served to them. And they weren't supposed to be on that bridge, Richard. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. Uh, we're going to take a time out, Joe, when we come back. I want to talk about the uh, the 401 overpass of uh, Avenue Road and how the uh, protesters took that over. They were told not to go there. They did. They doubled down. More people came. Uh, and um, they continued just to cause quite a, uh, a threatening presence in a primarily Jewish neighborhood. Joe Warmington is with us from the Toronto Sun, back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Don't go away. Listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Hey, welcome back. Let me ask you, when was the last time you evaluated your financial situation? Or ask yourself, is my advisor and the large financial company they work for the best organization to help me realize my financial goals? Our friends at Rocklink Investment Partners work with Canadians across the country to develop a simple but effective plan to make sure that you're on the right road to reach your financial goals. The team at Rocklink is committed first and foremost to the long-term growth of your capital the old-fashioned way. They're not preoccupied with political correctness, gender ideology, ESG, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Why don't you give them a call today at 905-631-5462, 905-631-5462, or email at info at rocklink.com to see how they can help you secure your financial f- future. I got a hold of them. I've never looked back. That's why I'm a client. Rocklink, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. Joe Warmington stays with us from the Toronto Sun. Uh, we're talking about the pro-Hamas agitators and thugs who uh, continue to uh, basically do whatever they want, disrupt skating parties, shut down Christmas shopping, uh, threaten people without any any concern about, uh, you know, being arrested or so let's get back to this neighborhood, uh, the Avenue Road, uh, just south of the 401 protesters on that overpass. Police tell them to disperse. They don't listen. More people come um, threatening uh, businesses and people in that Jewish neighborhood. Um, then all of a sudden we see them delivering coffee and pastries to these people. What gives Joe? Who, I mean, on whose order did they do that? Well, I think what happened was, basically, they were told, 
to not touch these protesters once they open the bridge up. So to not let anybody else on. So rather than they know uh, we can't bring the coffee, we'll go get the people or, or we'll let, you know, let them really come back and they can have their coffee over here. It was kind of a human thing to say, well, I'll just take the coffee over to them. I don't think it was sinister. I don't think it was anti-Semitic. I, I really don't. The police officers are sort of caught in one of these things and gotcha. The camera happened to be there. The optics are horrible, though, and they went viral. The police are upset. I mean, both the union the association and the commanders, they feel that it's, you know, not great coverage, not fair to them. But, you know, the reality of it is that it's not just that one thing. It's been going on for three months. You know, they've made a couple of arrests. They, they The Indigo 11 were arrested. But also on that bridge, there was a Jewish woman that was arrested. And, you know, again, she's mourning. She lost friends that were killed on October 7th. She was friends with some of the hostages or her family are connected to it. So I'm not saying what, you know, her doing that throat slitting movement uh, was was right. And I think it's uh, warranted of a charge. But it's so interesting that, you know, they seem to go out of their way to make sure that they charge someone like that. And yet the yeah. six feet deep guy, yeah. and even another woman, uh, you know, pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas a protester, she's also caught on video doing the same thing. But there's nobody lobbying to get her charged. The reason why the Jewish woman was charged was because there was complainants. You know, they lobbied hard to get her charged. And, of course, on the other side, uh, the police don't have somebody doing that. They just let it go. So what the police need to do, Richard, now is to get serious about this. Don't worry about what Trudeau says or Chow says. Just go and use the law. Mischief is, is, is one of the charges and lawful assemblies the other. Mischief I like a lot because that's what this is. It's impeding people from going out on the rink or going into a square or going into a restaurant and uh, stopping the Zamboni from cleaning the ice, that kind of thing. And as for the coffee, last thing on that, the optics. It went around the world. It was viral. Uh, the police didn't like the story. But how do we not write that story? How do you not talk about that exactly. on the show today? It's pretty tough. Well, Instead because of them worrying they, about how we they, do our job, yeah, they should just be focused on their job. Yeah, you're right. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not suggesting that they were. They were basically demonstrating that they were all in with the pro Hamas protesters and that they were, you know, in league with them or in any way anti Semitic, but it just communicates, you know, this is just another yet another example of how they have coddled these uh, these thugs um time and time again. And so this just was like the icing on the cake. That was enough, you know? You and know, the- it's true like and, and you don't know what is in that box. I mean like you're supposed to take this seriously. So they're on the bridge. It's probably Tim Hortons or whatever, but it just seemed odd, you know. And when you you tr- you couldn't get into an airport carrying that through or a Raptor game, so it's got to be treated a little differently. The, the guys made a mistake, and, and I don't think that the command should scapegoat those officers out there because it's because of the command and because of the people they answer to in the political level that there's such a soft approach in the first place. I mean, it's really not the people. You imagine standing there as a police officer, not knowing what to do because you can't do anything. And um, but I, but I, I think that enough is enough now. And it, it really isn't. There's not that many people, as I said in my column, which is on TorontoSun.com. We're dealing with you know uh, a few hundred people at most. Start arresting them. 
But before you do that, let them know. No more of this stuff. You protest at Nathan Phillips Square in the public square or over at Queens Park and that kind of thing, but not in private areas or intimidating. Well, if they don't, they don't do it now. If they don't do it now, they're going to have a situation like in New York where they are shutting down bridges. At one time, all of the bridges were closed the other day, including the Holland Tunnel, the Brooklyn Bridge. They were blocking it. We're going to have a situation like in Los Angeles where they were blocking access to LAX. That's next. If we don't if we don't communicate uh, to these creeps that we mean business and no more, no more. That's what we're going to end up with. It's only going to escalate from here if we don't act now. Hopefully the chief is listening to you. Hopefully he defies whatever orders he's getting because or what he feels, you know, because this is really a no brainer. I mean, you can't do what they're doing. And the other thing that really bothers me is they wear the masks, So you don't get to see who they are. They get to do whatever they want to you. I mean, they can hit you with, you know, we've all been hit, pushed and, and everything else. Uh, that's not okay. And, uh, but if you so much as move one inch towards their direction, they want you charged. And, you know, they're trying to, to goad people into that. That's what happened to that lady that did the throat slitting movement. You know, uh, she just lost her head because they were going after her with a similar kind of thing. So, yeah, we, it's an ugly time, but it's gone on too long. Since October 7th, I mean, we're into three full months of it. It's nonsense. Beyond, beyond nonsense. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun. Thank you, as always, Joe. Stay warm, stay safe. Thank you. Thank you very much, and Happy New Year to everybody. All right, when we come back, something we haven't done in a while, news not in the news. The Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960. Don't go away. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM. News not in the news. news. (laughs) We had to find that liner buried under a stack of newspapers and Pile of dirty laundry. It's been a while. <laughs> Had to dust it off. News not in the news. Haven't done it in a while, but uh, anyway, um, I wanted to tell you about a little uh, piece of audio here. Well, it's not little. It's it's uh, over two minutes long, but it's worth a listen, and I want you to listen to it closely. Uh, we've talked about the World Health Organization pandemic treaty and how they are trying to uh, gain even more power and influence than they already have. And when the next pandemic hits, and I say when, not if, because you know, you know that this is already in the works. Just listen carefully for the next, you know, tabletop operation that'll be uh, launched, I don't know, in New York. With the, uh, the usual suspects will be there. The Gates Foundation or Bill Gates and uh, Johns Hopkins University and different UN agencies. Preparing for the next pandemic, which miraculously will uh, occur like three months later. Anyway, this is what the World Health Organization is trying to do. They're trying to, to, uh, in anticipation of the next one, they want to be in charge. And uh, so this piece of audio I'm going to play for you is the uh, testimony of a Dr. Meryl Nass. Uh, She's a a physician in Maine. And... um, They took her license during COVID because she was prescribing ivermectin. She basically gave a giant middle finger to 
the whatever they call the College of Doctors and uh, Surgeons in Maine. We have our Ontario College of Physicians and Surgeons. I'm sure they have the, a similar governing body in Maine. But she um, she basically uh, went against whatever they were saying. So here she is. Oh, I should also mention um, she got her Bachelor of Science in Biology from MIT, her medical doctor degree from the University of Mississippi back in 1980. She's a board-certified internist in Maine, known for expertise in anthrax, bioterrorism, anthrax vaccine, and Gulf War syndrome. She identified the first modern use of anthrax as a biological weapon, which occurred in 1978 during the Rhodesian Civil War. She's testified for seven congressional committees on bioterrorism vaccines, the anthrax letters, and Gulf War syndrome. She's consulted for the Director of National Intelligence and the World Bank on the Prevention and Mitigation of Bioterrorism. Uh, So here she is explaining, again, how the World Health Organization's proposed pandemic treaty will enable the World Health Organization to take over jurisdiction of just about practically everything in the world. Have a listen. We're undergoing a soft coup, and the idea is to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws and other laws under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. The WHO is developing through all its nations, but with the WHO directorate in the United States in charge, a pandemic treaty and amendments to the existing international health regulations that will remove the human rights protections currently um, embedded in the IHRs, will enforce surveillance, censorship, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to censor and only push a single narrative. Also, we will be sub- subject, if, if they can make this work, to vaccines developed in 100 days, which the organization CEPI is planning to do. And one of the People who founded CEPI was Jeremy Farrar, who is now the chief scientist at the WHO to bring this forward. Um, other things that, uh, that amendments do is to bind the state so they're no longer recommendations, but enforceable edicts. Uh, provide a liability shield, get rid of intellectual property rights, move supplies from one country to another, um, enforce digital passports. And the director general of WHO can demand that a pandemic or a potential pandemic exists. He can just declare it with no standards, and then countries around the world will have to obey. Uh, Also, the WHO will tell you what drugs you can and can't use in your nation once a pandemic is declared. Obviously, the budget will increase. One Health is another part of this. One Health is a concept that was created to enable the WHO with these documents to take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by saying that climate change, animals, plants, water systems, ecosystems are all central to health. Also embedded in this concept is a peculiar notion that humans are no longer of greater value than animals. And there it is. There it is. We've we've heard this uh, that from from our own 
um, Dr. Teresa Tam. She's talked about climate change now becoming the next big health crisis. Do you remember the Project Veritas, the leaked videotape when he interviewed a CNN producer and the CNN producer admitted on secret while being secretly recorded. Now that COVID's over, the next big thing is to really hype up climate change hysteria. And that's what they're doing, right? Wasn't too long after that was leaked or that secret uh, recording was released by James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. They kicked him out soon after, but he has his own uh, O'Keefe Media Group, I think it's called, OMG. Anyway, wasn't too long after that that we heard the United Nations talking about global boiling. It's no longer about global warming. Now it's global boiling. So imagine the World Health Organization having the power to institute lockdowns over climate change, over global warming. I warned you about that on this very program, right in the midst, in the early stages of the lockdowns and the government response to COVID. I said, this is a beta test. I use that phrase specifically. It's a beta test for global warming lockdowns, climate change lockdowns. The World Health Organization is, this is what they're trying to do. And Dr. Teresa Tam is going to play along. And they're going to tell you what kind of medicine you can and can't take. And this idea that this moral, moral relativism where now humans are no better than, than animals. This is, um, this is chilling. This is chilling. Has your daughter or son ever come home and talked about, you know, why do we, why do we value human life more than that of an animal? Why should we? You see where this is going? All right. Uh, I think I have time for this one more piece of uh, audio here. This is uh, a gentleman by the name of Brigham Bueller. He was on Joe Rogan recently. Brigham Bueller uh, operates some type of medical clinic in, in the United States. Talking about the history of big pharma, going back to the Second World War. Have a listen. And so if we take a little walk through history, you'll see time and time again how this has happened. So I'm going to jump way back first. Okay. There was a small little company that reached out to the Third Reich and said, hey, we need 150 participants for our clinical trial. The Nazi regime shipped 150 healthy Jewish women to this uh, this pharmaceutical company to test its products. Literally within six months, there's letters back to the Third Reich from this pharmaceutical company saying, thank you so much for your cooperation. The women arrived in great health and working order. Unfortunately, none of them, none of them made it through the initial phases of our trial. They killed 150 women. We kindly request that you send us another 150 women. That little company became Bayer. 
which is now a mega pharmaceutical company. Holy. And I say because it would have changed by now. That was forever ago, right? The world's a different place. We would never allow that today. Jump forward post-World War II. I talked about this on RFK's podcast, Eisenhower's speech, his uh famous speech about the military industrial complex. What a lot of people don't realize is there was a second half to that speech where Eisenhower warned the American people about the medical industrial complex. He warned that if we allow private industry to control, monopolize, and profiteer off of health and healthcare, that they will silo innovation, stifle innovation, and capitalize and monetize innovation. I would argue that's 100% what we've seen. And there you go. Uh, I apologize for the uh, SHIT there from uh, Joe Rogan. Uh, I, I, I meant to bleep that out. My apologies if you were offended by that. All right. When we come back, hour two, Tom Korski, managing editor of Blacklock's Reporter, will be here. We'll, we'll talk about whether or not the Bank of Canada is uh, planning on introducing a digital currency. All that, plus Corey Morgan from the Western Standard talking about Danielle Smith's efforts to revamp her province's healthcare system, what that means for the rest of Canada, and of course, our morning man, Mark Petrone, will be here last order of business. Back with more of Hour 2 of the Richard Serrett Show right after this timeout on Saga 960. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is... The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Richard Serrett Show. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way this hour, including our very own morning showman, Mark Petroni. He drops by last order of business. The Mark Petroni Morning Show can be heard weekday mornings from 7 to 9 here on the mighty Saga 960. Um, so much to talk about with uh, with Mark. I'm, I'm thinking we might touch on that huge protest that's taking place in Germany uh, today. The farmers and now the truckers, and I believe the um, one of the, the the unions representing the uh, the train uh, train employees, train crews, engineers, and so forth, all joining uh, to protest Germany's um, green policies that are really causing tremendous hardship for the farmers and um, well, just the average German citizen really struggling to pay for their, their heating and so forth. The, uh, the farmers and truckers promising to uh, paralyze the government, make them force them to step down if possible. 
And yet the mainstream media is just leaving that story alone. Some on social media suggesting that uh, they're receiving their marching orders from Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. They don't want they don't want the rest of the world to pay attention to what's happening in Germany, lest maybe they they they're inspired by it the way many countries around the world were inspired by the truckers convoy. All right. Uh, Corey Morgan will be with us from the Western Standard. We'll talk about Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and her efforts to overhaul the uh, health care system in Alberta, which is on its deathbed like the rest of the country. And uh, she's getting upset because the the healthcare bureaucracy, the health system bureaucracy in Alberta is kind of slow rolling, rolling her attempts to reform and overhaul things. So she's promising to get tough and fire managers if they don't deliver on the promises that she's made. We'll uh, speak to Corey Morgan about what Premier Smith's efforts might mean for health reform in the rest of the country. All right. I've talked uh, time and time again about a central bank digital currency, why I think it's a horrible idea. Well, even I was kind of heartened because even the Bank of Canada wasn't terribly bullish on it when they were asked about it. They said, well, you know, we've seen the polling. Canadians really are not interested. And uh, if they're not interested, we're not going to do anything about it. Well, (laughs) that may or may not be true. Tom Korski, managing editor, Blacklock's reporter, joins us once again. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. So what is this deal with the Bank of Canada kind of quietly, secretly taking steps to control the digital Canadian dollar trademark? It doesn't add up, does it? As you mentioned, the bank publicly has stated many times they have no interest in digital currency. Repeat, zero interest. But they keep commissioning reports on digital currency. They keep commissioning polling on it. Every time you walk past the building, there's... Men milling around talking about digital currency, and you say you're not looking at a digital currency, are you? And they say, no, no, perish the thought. But here we see before Christmas, under the Trademarks Act, bank lawyers they actually used outside counsel filed trademark claims for digital dollar under the Trademarks Act. This is an obscure clause. It exists mainly in Canada. I can't think of another English-speaking country that had, has this provision, where if you were a public institution like the Bank of Canada, without notice, without hearing, without any objection, you can claim exclusive rights to even an ordinary everyday phrase of common words in perpetuity for the next thousand years. They own it, digital Canadian dollar, digital dollar in English and French, for the next thousand years according to their filings under the Trademarks Act just before Christmas. Why would they do that, Richard? Yeah, why? Well, I guess if you're going to eventually introduce a digital Canadian dollar, you got to own the, the rights to the bloody name. <laughs> so this uh, is a, well, it is an odd action. Exactly. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's, it's sort of it's sort of an overt action by a, a public agency we're led to believe has no interest, no interest whatsoever in this. It doesn't make sense. What do they find in their research? This is their problem. If they do have an interest in the digital dollar, which they've just trademarked yeah. through their lawyers at Smart and Bigger Limited Law Partners, what does their <laughs> polling show? Uh, very few Canadians, only they say about 14%, have sworn off cash. So the vast majority, that would 
That would be the vast majority, almost 9 in 10 Canadians, still use cash at some point. What else did they find out? They found out there's a large number of Canadians, it's a minority admittedly, but 16% don't even shop online. They're wary of cashless transactions, digital transactions, 16% will not shop online. They had a report last August 10th, I know you referred to this, Richard, where they said acceptance and use, I'm quoting, of a central bank digital currency could be challenging because most Canadians have options. Cash, credit cards, debit cards, lots of us still use checks. What did they say? Overcoming such barriers could require significant and sustained investment by the central bank, unquote, not interested. Until until just before Christmas, they waited while the snow was softly falling and everyone was distracted, and they <laughs> raced over to the trademark office to trademark digital dollar. How did you find this out? I mean, who goes, is this your, your Christmas reading, Tom? You go leafing through the Trademarks Act and <laughs> find out the Bank of Canada has, uh, you know, has taken out the digital Canadian dollar? How did you find it? We go for, we do routine checks on hundreds, thousands of pages of records, federal records every single week. Because it's all about what they do, Richard, not what they say. If we went by what they said... This was the farthest thing from their minds. And at the same time, they were saying publicly, we have no interest. They were calling up smart and bigger, saying, fellas, we'd like you to file a trademark application. Do it on the quiet, though, because we don't want any hearings, no news release, and we don't want any public objections. See, this is what makes you so great and, and Blacklock so so valuable, because the rest of the mainstream media, now that the, you know, uh, the House of Commons and all of the, f- the federal politicians are on Christmas break, they think, oh, nothing's going on in Ottawa. Let's, you know, let's go and uh, let's go to Cancun or no, something. No, let's just take, but no, there's a no lot shenanigans going on. never stop. Yeah, the <laughs> so shenanigans never stop. If they were to impose a, uh, a digital dollar on Canadians, um, I mean, that would have to be... That would have to be passed by the by a vote in the House of Commons, correct? A it bill. would have to be an act of Parliament, and uh, and I can give you if it's a loose analogy, but not too loose. How would this go down? I can tell you. In approximately seven years ago, the Department of Public Works, which is responsible for mailing out Government of Canada checks to pensioners, on uh, unemployment insurance, old age security, they said, you know what, we could save $13 million a year if people would just sign up for direct deposit, digital transactions, mm-hmm. instead of us mailing checks. And it was going to be great, Richard. And they, and they even said it was going to be mandatory. Uh-oh. What did they find? They found a quarter of Canadians, it was 24%, said, no way in hell am I giving the government of Canada my bank information. There are still that many people who want their tax refund on a paper check. They don't trust the government of Canada. They don't trust the privacy. They like paper so they can keep track of their transactions for their own accounts. This is what the digital dreamers encounter over and over and over. Of course, it's a minority, but it's a significant minority. And these people really mean business. Like, hell, am I giving you my information so I can get a tax refund that you owe me anyway? 
If you um, had to bet whether or not there would be a digital currency in Canada within the next 10 years, what would you what would you bet? Yes or no? I, I got it. I got to tell you, Richard, they keep talking about it. This is what mm. doesn't add up. So you'd have to say this leans more to the positive than the negative because they won't stop talking about it. And, 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 and they, uh, whether for whatever reason. And it has to be a reason that they haven't publicly stated because it's easy to say no. Yeah, I'm just thinking maybe they're waiting for the for us old timers who like, you know, paper money and coins to uh, to shuffle off so that they can Uh, always curse the old timers. (laughs) There you go. We'll take a quick time out. Tom Korski, managing editor of Blacklocks Reporter, stays with us. Uh, We'll we'll talk about the uh, natural resource minister. Jonathan Wilkinson's wife, who's uh, very keen on uh, trading in oil and gas stocks, and also uh, Immigration Minister Mark Miller, who allowed 800,000 foreign students to work unlimited hours in Canada without any research on how it would impact Canadian job seekers. Those stories are next right here on The Richard Serrett Show, Saga 960. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Bob Korski, managing editor, Blacklocks reporter, stays with us. Support independent media, Blacklocks.ca. Blacklocks.ca. They break so many stories, like the uh, the one we were discussing uh, just before the break. How the um, Bank of Canada quietly, secretly, over the Christmas break registered the uh, the trademark for the name Canadian Digital Currency. And yet they uh, insist publicly they have no interest in introducing a digital currency in this country. So we had uh, we have about, uh, what, 800,000 foreign students pouring into the uh, into the country. And as it turns out. They're they're working, they can work more than 20 hours and yet the immigration minister, Mark Miller, has no data, no research in terms of what impact these foreign students, rather, for I said foreign workers, foreign students are having on employment uh, uh, in this country, particularly with young people. So what changed? Um, there used to be a cap on how, how, how many hours a foreign student could work, Right. There sure was, Richard. It was 20 hours a week. And as late as 2020, there was about 350,000 foreign students who were working part-time in Canada. 20 hours a week is part-time. That's pretty limited. And what happened was cabinet lifted that. And they said, you can work full-time. And then Minister Miller, before Christmas, extended it. It was due to expire New Year's Eve. He extended it into the spring, this spring. And said, we're going to look at it, may may extend it again. What did he say? Well, they've gone from about 350,000 foreign students that are are in the workforce in Canada. It's doubled. It's now about 650,000 students. And that's just since 2019, 2020. And And what did Miller say? They could be working full-time hours. you, You can work unlimited hours, absolutely. He said, and I'm quoting, I don't think these foreign students, I don't think students are taking jobs away from other people. Well, we asked. 
what, what's the data? That's, that's pretty definitive. Mm-hmm. You must have a lot of research. We asked the Labor Department. We asked the Department of Immigration. Guess what? There is no research. He made it up. Whether it was an intuition or whether somebody told him that on the way to work in the car, I don't know. But now you have 800,000 foreign students that were dropped into the full-time workforce by a, a change in regulations. And I got to tell you, it doesn't look good. Their unemployment rates in the summertime for post-secondary students, Canadians of post-secondary age, went up a full point. Of course, they're competing with Canadian students for summer jobs. Who else would they be competing with? Are you telling me this economy can absorb 800,000 full-time workers, foreign students? Well, Miller, the immigration minister, would be the last guy to know. I think he made it up. It came to him in a dream, apparently. Um, can that can that change in the regulation, the uh, Immigration Act? Can that be done through an order in council, or does that have to be uh, an act of parliament? How does that work? It's strict order in council. That's a cabinet order. Cabinet could do it in an afternoon. The latest extension of unlimited hours for any foreign student who wants to get a job in Canada, and these are entry-level jobs they're taking, uh, the, the current extension expires in April, and Miller has uh, suggested that it may be extended. Uh, you know, uh, this is completely anecdotal, Richard, but if you talk to post-secondary students, Canadians, they found a surprisingly tight job market last summer, and it didn't make any sense because everyone says there's a labor shortage. Right. But there were a lot of people haven't knocking on a lot of doors. And this was never, there was no justification for it. And when Minister Miller said, there's no way those foreign students are taking away Canadian jobs, there's every suspicion that that is exactly what happened. And next year, how many more foreign students will be pouring into the country? Do we know? When you're up to 800,000, you know, these are staggering figures. This is not ancient history. 2000, we all remember Y2K. 2000, according to Statistics Canada, how many foreign students were in the workforce? 22,000. Wow. And now, 807,000 are eligible. That's staggering. It is staggering. Tom Korski, managing editor, Blacklocks reporter, blacklocks.ca to subscribe. Tom, thank you as always. Thank you, Richard. All right. When we come back, Corey Morgan from the Western Standard will be here and uh, we'll talk about Danielle Smith, Premier Danielle Smith of Alberta, how she could lead the nation with health care reform. That story is coming up next. The Richard Serrett Show continues right here on Saga 960 in three minutes. Don't go away. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 a.m. All right, welcome back. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, undaunted by he, uh, her uh, bloated health uh, bureaucracy in that province, she is uh, pushing forward, vowing to uh, overhaul the uh, healthcare system in Alberta, which could send uh, or will send ripples across the country, no doubt. Every province, same story. The healthcare system is just in shambles, crumbling. People dying on waiting lists, the, the you know hallway health care. We've been talking about that in in the province for fifty years. Fifty years, 
Ask Laurie Goldstein at the Toronto Sun. He's been writing about this for five decades. It's a joke. And the moment someone tries to make changes that uh, even smack of no privatization, private care, all the usual suspects come out and cry wolf. Oh, you're going to turn us into the American system. It's just an intractable situation. But we wish Premier Daniel Smith all the luck in the world. Corey Morgan is a senior Alberta columnist and the uh, host of the Corey Morgan Show for the Western Standard and Alberta Report. Corey, welcome back. How are you? Great, thanks. Uh, always good to be on, Richard. Great to have you. Uh, so talk about um, one of the things that, that uh, she did initially was she took this huge bureaucracy, bureaucracy uh, AHS, and she tried to kind of break it into uh, different entities. Uh, how did that work, and, and, uh, or, or what did she do exactly, and how is that working so far? Sure. Maybe I'll go back a, a little further to start, because uh, when she became premier but hadn't been elected yet in a general election, she, she still came on immediately firing at, at Alberta Health Services, which is our bureaucracy, uh, and fired uh, Dina Hinshaw, who was the head of the, 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 the chief medical officer. Uh, later, she fired the, the CEO, Verna Yu, and then she fired the entire board and appointed one person to, to manage it. So she made it clear right off the bat, she, she's cleaning house and, and she's going to be changing things. Right. Uh, last November, though, she she decided to break up, it's one giant bureaucracy, and break it into four parts. So one would be acute care, which would be hospitals, ambulances, the more emergency and immediate uh, sort of areas. Then there'd be primary care, which would be another bureaucracy for your, your nurse practitioners or doctors and things such as that. Uh, then continuing care for people with long-term disability or seniors and mental health, which, uh, you know, it really makes sense because they are really four, they're all health related, but they're, they're four very unique areas. But I think part of what's going on as well is she's used that as a, as a basis because she's fighting a monster. And if you can split that monster into four pieces, uh, they're going to have a heck of a harder time coming back at you as they resist every bit of change and reform she's, she's trying to propose. So she's, she's really shaking them up. And, and of course they're, they're dragging their heels and fighting tooth and nail uh, against this change. But uh, Smith uh, appears very determined just not to back off. She, she's, you know, one of the only premiers who's got such a large budget surplus. She could take the easy route and just throw money at the healthcare system like others have before, but she's, she's willing to take on that, that lion and, and she's showing no signs of backing down. I'm, I'm pretty excited about what she's going to do. Okay, so um, she also uh, is is trying to reform the ambulance service uh, services in that province yeah. because there's a lot of waste there, a lot of ambulances taking people to the hospital that you know and, that, that that aren't in an emergency situation, uh, and so they're tying up crews and ambulances for people who really need them, right? That's right. And uh, that was an area that she laid down the law. Part of the problem that was happening, she came down on the hospitals themselves because what would happen is ambulances would deliver patients, but the nurses and doctors wouldn't sign off on them. And then that, that way the, the paramedics were stuck doing hallway care and they couldn't discharge their patients. So we were running out of ambulances all the time because our paramedics were always at the hospitals. Uh, Smith laid down the law with that. And amazingly, it just through uh, the power of persuasion, that came to pretty much an end. They're turning over their patients within 20 minutes, typically now. And uh, But the other aspect was, uh, and a good common sense fix, just saying, look, we've got tens of thousands of trips we do every year 
if they're moving a person from hospital to hospital, if they're moving a person from the hospital to a senior center, things like that, they're using a fully equipped ambulance with a pair of paramedics in it. And it's not necessary. It's terribly expensive. And uh, it, of course, ties up some, some highly skilled people with some highly specialized equipment for somebody who's actually not at a high immediate risk. So she said, get out there and start putting this out to private contractors. We can do this with, with some people who are trained as commercial, commercial drivers, uh, you know, some degree of um, healthcare training and such. But you don't need that, that, that level of, of like a paramedic. But what's been happening is the AHS bureaucrats in that realm uh, came up with a pile of regulations and, and, and basically they've been stonewalling and uh, dragging their heels and, and making it impossible for private contractors to actually get the contracts to get these things going. It, it's a purposeful uh, uh, effort. It's slow rolling. And uh, now she's laid down the law and said, well, look, if you guys don't do it, you're getting fired. It's as simple as that. We're going to start firing managers. I told you what you're supposed to do. Do it, or you're heading to the door. I've never seen language from a premier like this. And, and no, of I was going to say it's, it's, the usual... <laughs> it's, a, it's a foreign concept. A, a premier saying, I will fire you if you don't do as I say. I've never heard such a thing in Ontario. No, and, and, and of course it's driven some people wild. And, and no, we don't want a premier micromanaging the, the health care systems all the way down to the manager's level. But she started at the top. She put out the order. She put out the mandate letter. She, she fired the top levels, which is her prerogative and, and her authority. And, and basically the message should have gotten down to those middle managers. She's not messing around. Get this done. And they aren't doing it. So she said, well, if you don't do it, I'm, I'm, you're, you're going to be hitting the pavement as well. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think she's personally going to go in and go through the levels, but she's going to make sure that, yeah, if, if they identify the people who are stonewalling and slowing things down, she's going to fire them. And, uh, I, again, I think it's great. They need that shaking up in a really bad way. What kind of, um, I'm, I'm guessing, the response from the NDP and the different uh, unions involved in health care are up in arms? Well, of course, uh, and they're furious. Uh, part of the problem when we go farther back, though, is, is part of what Premier Smith is doing is cleaning away a lot of the deadwood that got appointed while the NDP was in power in Alberta. Uh, the, the way Premier Notley, of course, kept the unemployment rate low was she just mass hiring program into the Alberta Health Services bureaucracy, and the size of it just grew massively with NDP-appointed uh, uh, managers and and, and hired uh, individuals. So, of course, they're quite furious with that control being lost in there. And uh, the unions are, are furious with the thought that, yes, some of these ambulances are going to be contracted out for, for non-emergency care, uh, presumably to contractors who, yes, they aren't union, but uh, they can scream and fuss and stomp their feet, but there's not really a lot they can do. So, And again, it's, it's not showing any indication that it's, uh, Smith really cares what they think. All right, we'll take a quick time out. Corey Morgan, senior Alberta columnist and the host of the Corey Morgan Show for the Western Standard and Alberta Report. Back with more of our conversation on Premier Danielle Smith's attempts to overhaul the uh, health care system in Alberta and what that means for the rest of Canada. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Well, 2024 off to a great start because I am so thrilled to welcome back one of our great partners, Rocklink Investment Partners. Rocklink, of course, run by Jonathan Wellham, 
who I'm sure many of you remember from his uh, visits on this show and his uh, tremendous uh, insights regarding the uh, economy and geopolitics. Uh, Jonathan and his uh, team are helping families thrive despite the difficult economic environment by growing and protecting your wealth. Their investment philosophy of buying excellent businesses at attractive prices has been compounding wealth for over 34 years, despite the tech bubble of 2000, uh, the financial crisis of 2008, uh, the COVID crash of 2020. So why not let Rocklink show you how they can partner with your family to help you reach your financial goals? Give them a call at 905-631-5462, 905-631-5462, or email info at rocklink.com, info at rocklink.com. Rocklink, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. All right, Corey Morgan stays with us from the Western Standard uh, and uh, the Alberta Report. Uh, how do we listen to the Corey Morgan Show, Corey? Uh, well, it's it's on all of the, the Western Standard channels, whether YouTube or Rumble or X. Uh, it streams live every Wednesday. And it's broadcast out to the Cowboy Network and uh, RFD-TV on cable channels for people who like those obscure uh, high number channels out there. <laughs> All right. We're talking about Alberta Premier Danielle Smith uh, attempting to overhaul the province's uh, health care system. Uh, she broke up the, uh, the, the provincial health bureaucracy. Uh, it was one big sort of monolith AHS, and now she's broken it down into some comp- component parts. Uh, she is basically uh, ordered um, the uh, ambulance services uh, that – are taking non-emergency cases to hospitals uh, to be contracted out to private firms. She's getting some some pushback from the bureaucracy who are putting up uh, regulations and bureaucratic obstacles. Now she's threatening to fire managers who don't, you know, stop slow rolling, to use your term, uh, Corey, slow rolling her, her policies. Uh, and predictably, the NDP and the unions are up in arms. Uh, has she given any indication what her next move is? I mean, if she's going to, there's a, this is a huge job. Uh, so ambulances we've talked about, breaking up the, the bureaucracy into smaller parts. What, what do you suspect is her next move on the healthcare reform front? It's hard to say. She's got so many balls in the air right now. Uh, another area, as I mentioned a bit earlier, was nurse practitioners taking over some of the role of, of family doctors. So expanding the role so people could go to a nurse practitioner to get prescriptions or checkups or, or things like that, uh, which, again, I have some people saying you're going to put people at risk. But, I mean, it's going to take some of the burden off. You, you don't need to see a doctor every time you have the sniffles or getting a, a prescription renewed. Uh but another big one, and she campaigned on, she might drop, and I'm just guessing, but this was almost controversial when she campaigned. She talked about healthcare savings accounts, and she was going to set up a system for, for a savings account for every Albertan, and it would build up annually, and people could put money into their own or their employers could add to it as well, and that would go towards non-insured services. So whether it's dental or optical or uh, some aspects of physiotherapy, massage therapy, things like that. And uh, some people say it's moving towards a step of getting people used to paying for services. I don't know if that's fully true, but it's breaking it's breaking people's habits away from the conventional monopolized care system. And I, I think, as I've kind of said in the article, it, it is dogmatic almost the way people treat Canada's healthcare system. You almost have to ease them out of the religion to make them realize there's other ways we can do this. 
And uh, I, I believe that some of her strategy is she's got to change a bit of the public mindset before she can make those changes. And that, that health care savings account, if it's going to happen, she's going to do it sooner rather than later because it's going to have to be in place and working and presumably hopefully successful by the time she has to face the electorate again in, in three years. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's so true, uh, this dogma that we have. Um, and it's it's either, you know, as far as Canadian politicians are concerned, there's only two systems of health care anywhere in the world. It's the Canadian model, which is one payer and, and, and one provider, or it's the American model where it's the Wild West and people are losing their homes because they have to have, you know, a, a triple bypass or something. Um, and yet we know that, you know, the European models where there are multiple providers, you could still have one payer the government or the taxpayer, but multiple providers. And I don't understand why we can't break out of this, but it, it appears as if Premier uh, Smith is attempting to do that. Uh, here in Ontario, um, Doug Ford, he's just kind of nibbling around the edges, I think. But one of the things that he's allowing pharmacists, for example, uh, to do is to to do more of their own prescribing. Uh, is there any, are they able to do that in Alberta? Can pharmacists take more responsibility or has that been discussed? I believe Premier Kenny already brought a little bit of that in, but it's it's limited and they're still figuring out uh, the edges. But yeah, there has been some of that going on here too. So as you said, it's kind of like uh, Premier Ford. They're afraid and they nibble at the edges and then they try little reforms as, as Kenny did as well. Uh, and and it's because they're afraid of, of the dogmatic uh, system. And, and, and Smith is ready to dive right in and she seems to be whittling away at people's perceptions of things. So, and as I said in the article, too, I, I think a lot of premiers are watching her very closely. She's mm. doing what they wish they had the courage to do. And, uh, you know, and if she falls on her face, they'll say, oh, well, we're just going to stick to the old model. But if she's successful in some of these reforms, I suspect we'll see them starting to be implemented in potentially any province, because every premier, as you said at the start of the show, is dealing with the same thing. The, the problems are the same everywhere, whether you're an NDP government or progressive conservative or, or UCP, it doesn't matter. It's the same problem everywhere. Well, I wish Premier Smith got speed in, uh, in her attempts to reform the health care system. Corey, thank you so much. Oh, always a pleasure to be on, Richard. Corey Morgan, senior Alberta columnist and the host of The Corey Morgan Show for the Western Standard and Alberta Report. When we come back, the morning guy, Mark Petroni, drops by. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. All right, welcome back. Just like the Woodstock Music and Arts Festival, we saved the best for last. Jimi Hendrix, of course, closed the Woodstock Music and Arts Festival and now rounding out the program on a Monday, our very own morning show host, Mark Petrone. Weekdays, 7 to 9 a.m. right here on the Saga Mighty and the Saga 960. Mark, welcome back. How are you, buddy? I'm excellent. Thank you, Richard. Really appreciate you uh, inviting me on your show and very much looking forward to, to having you on mine. Yeah, I guess we're going to do this. Uh, I think we're going to do this tomorrow morning, right? Uh, Tuesdays, uh, just uh, around 730 or so. Yeah, bright and early. Yeah, that's all right. I'll make sure my uh, I bring my I got my coffee ready to go and I bring my A game. Um, first of all, uh, I, I do want to get around to talking to you about what's going on in Germany, because uh, it, nobody else seems to be talking about it. It's almost like, you know, they're uh, marching in lockstep under the orders of Klaus Schwab. Don't discuss what's happening. But we've got that country being uh, paralyzed by this massive, massive uh, farmer and trucker protest. But before we get to that. 
Uh, I want to ask you about this latest cache of documents that came down um, uh, regarding the uh, Epstein documents from the uh, uh, the judge there, Loretta Preska. Uh, Gateway Pundit is reporting that uh, among the documents today was testimony. This, I believe, is from Virginia Jufre. Uh This was part of her um, defamation lawsuit against Jelaine Maxwell. In the uh, in these documents, uh, she is claiming uh, a friend of hers was forced to have sex, and then she names names: Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, and um, uh, Richard Branson. And she says. Or, I'm sorry, I, no, let me track, uh, backtrack. It was not Bill Gates, my apologies, not Bill Gates, Prince Andrew. Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Richard Branson, not Bill Gates. Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, Richard Branson, and claims videotape exists. Uh, and these, and the faces of these three individuals are clearly visible on the videotapes. What, what are your thoughts? Well, it's as disgusting as many of us suspected. And uh, those aren't the only people. I mean, uh, we've heard rumors of other people involved, Jimmy Kimmel. Now, that was at first debunked, but I noticed that uh, Chris Skye came out today and said that, uh, no, he was definitely involved. Now, I've gone searching to see if, in fact, Kimmel's name is in there. You know, of course, there was that huge kerfuffle with uh, Aaron Rodgers yes. uh, calling out Jimmy Kimmel, saying, yeah, Jimmy's going to be pretty nervous about the names coming out. Kimmel came out, threatened to sue uh, Aaron Rodgers. And uh, now, and I can't find the reference to it, but apparently he is on the list. I can't guarantee that, but I'm only going by what uh, what Chris had to say. He's often right about these sort of things. I mean, it's, uh, it's extremely troubling, but I think we can take some solace in the fact that this stuff is being exposed and the other part of this, of course, is that there needs to be more arrests, right? We need yeah. to have these people uh, SWAT teamed and uh, taken into custody and charged, whether it's, you know, I understand Tom Hanks is on that list. Uh, there's all these famous people who have well, prayed that. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I would just say the thing with the names is kind of confusing because there are a lot of names being bandied about in these documents. And uh, with many of these celebrities, uh, let's say, for example, the lawyer is conducting the uh, the deposition, asks uh, one of the witnesses whether it is Virginia Dufre, uh, Jufre, sorry, or any of the others. Um, you know, did did you see any of these people? Uh, even if the answer is no, the name is now in the document. So they may mention, or or the the the, the witness may say that uh, Jeffrey Epstein was name dropping and named a bunch of, of people that he knew. Uh, so the name goes into the, into the document, but there's the name is not attached to any particular act or deed. So there's going to be a lot of people named that maybe have nothing to do with anything. Uh, others, perhaps, you know, they will at some point be connected to some sort of an act. But if, if in fact, the testimony of Virginia Jufre in this latest document, uh, Cash, stating that a friend of hers did have sexual intercourse with Clinton, Prince Andrew, Richard Branson, and again saying allegedly these sex tapes exist. Allegedly, um, my big question is, you know, does the FBI have them? I'm certain. I'm certain that they do. They raided his properties. They must have them. And, and are they going to admit to it? 
Yeah, well, you hear all sorts of things, like a lot of evidence disappeared before the mm. raids, you know, mm-hmm. I've heard that. But I guess there's also, besides the manifests, there's also the client list. And, you know, did all these people, uh, you know, participate in the kinds of things that they're being accused of? Or did they just happen to fly on uh, the Lolita Express for some other reason? I don't know. But uh, we do know that he was running a blackmailing operation. And so, yeah, these videos must exist because if you're going to blackmail somebody, then you lure them into a honeypot situation with, with people like Jufri and you get tape, you get evidence. And then, and then that would explain how, you know, this guy got so rich, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, exactly. What did this guy do for a living? I think he was in the blackmail business, but you know, who did he work for? I guess that's the other big question. You know, who was he, who was he reporting to? Exactly. Exactly. So what's happening over there in Germany, I think is unprecedented. Um, I mean, even by our standards, and we had this huge, massive freedom convoy protest in um, February of of uh, 2022. Um, but it doesn't compare to what's happening, as far as I can tell, in Germany, where they are bringing that country to its knees. The uh, the, the farmers have um, have partnered with uh, the truckers and a number of unions, including the train unions, the people that operates the trains that operate the trains in that country. They want the government to step down because they're, um, they're refusing to cut the tax on farm uh, fuel like diesel for their implements. They're refusing to cut uh, uh, taxes in other areas uh, as part of their, you know, their ridiculous green agenda. They, the government is inflicting uh, terrible damage to not only the, the farmers, but just the citizens of Germany. They're just crippling the industry there and so forth. The farmers, the truckers have had enough. Um, and yet, Mark, the mainstream media, it's almost as if they've, they've been given orders from on high not to talk about it. Are you noticing this? Yeah, they're not talking about it, but people are finding out anyway. And thanks to the fact that the, the, the mainstream media has lost so much credibility. People are finding that information elsewhere through people like uh, Ava Blardingerbrook, who's as smart as she is gorgeous. If you don't mind me saying, I'll probably get in trouble for that, but she just is. Sorry. But um, she's on the scene and she's filing on a regular basis. So it's great to see her posts uh, in Germany because a lot of these farmers and truckers, they're being joined uh, from uh, the places like uh, the Netherlands and other countries. Now, they're all getting together, which is what you want to see, right? You want to see the numbers swell. And uh, all of this is, you know, related to the climate change agenda that we saw, uh, you know, exploited to devastating effect in the Netherlands, uh, where they went after family farms like crazy, forcing suicides, uh, bankruptcies. And so it's a, an extremely malevolent agenda that has been leveled against these farmers. And so they are pushing back. They're, they've got the support of a lot of people who are not in the farm community who recognize that, you know, these farmers are growing our food. Without them, you know, maybe we don't eat. And so good for the, for the German people to uh, rally and to get together, they've, they're blocking all sorts of highways and byways in that country um, and uh, su- successfully blocking uh, key arteries 
throughout that country. And so they're making their point. And uh, I hope they bring the government to its knees, Richard. I really do. I agree. Because, you know, these these governments are not looking after the interests of the people any more than Justin Trudeau is looking after the interests of Canada. And they need to be opposed vehemently by everybody, whether you're a farmer or a trucker or just a consumer in, in uh, you know, Berlin or any other city. So I, I really, I, you know, I applaud the yeah. folks in Germany for what they're doing. I think it's fantastic. Me too. And I, let's hope there's a domino effect uh, across Europe. L- let me ask you a final point of uh, order here. What's happening on the, uh, the morning show tomorrow? Okay, tomorrow we got uh, Leo Knight on the show. Leo, of course, has a long history uh, in policing. He was an RCMP officer. He was a city police officer in Vancouver. And I asked him, I mean, have you ever heard of circumstances where police would be getting coffee and donuts for demonstrators? Mm-hmm. And uh, no, he hadn't heard of it. Uh, and so he delves into the reasons why it happened. He said it may not be the fault of the cop who was actually delivering the uh, snacks, uh, it may have been from on high, you know, and so who gave the orders, right? Is, did this go as high as the police chief or did it go to the mayor? Uh, exactly what is this policy going on where they're trying to appease people who are blockading uh, Jewish neighborhoods, calling for the mass genocide of individuals, uh, you know, causing all sorts of uh, disruptions in malls, for instance. We saw that during the Christmas break. And it just goes on and on. And so uh, he, he gives us a sense of expertise that he brings to the table. And it's always great having Leo on the show. He's going to be on tomorrow. That's uh, the Mark Petroni Morning Show weekdays, 7 to 9 a.m. here on Saga 960. Mark, thanks so much. And I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Talk to you tomorrow, Richard. Thanks again for having me on. All the best, buddy. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at 4 p.m. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Tuesday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM.